Hi guys, my name is Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge Podcast. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the show. Um, bit of a dramatic title that one, wasn't it? Was it clickable? Did I get you in, get you sucked in? Um, the truth is I have quit, um, but I've not quit The Hedge. I'm not quitting the podcast. I'm not quitting content. It's quite the opposite. And, uh, today, I want to explain a little bit about what's going on there, what I'm talking about, what I mean by that. Um, and also answer a couple of listener questions that I've had come through as well. So first things first, I have quit. I am no longer going to be a financial advisor. So I handed in my notice um, a while ago now, a while ago now, about three month notice period. So uh, and my first or my last day, I should say, is next next week. So it's been a long time coming. I've not wanted to share this just yet because obviously I still have been uh, working with clients on a on a daily basis. But that is all going to change from next Thursday. I'm done, uh, and I'm no longer going to be providing financial advice. Now this has been a long time coming. Um, I think from some of the content, uh, a lot of the content that I've. Uh, I've uh, shared with you guys over recent times, um, especially throughout the pandemic and with the rising cost of prices. I'm sure a lot of you will have got the uh, the perspective or my perspective on um, kind of mainstream climbing the corporate ladder and trying to grind out those those uh, you know meager pay rises each year. And you know, financial advisors aren't immune to that. You know, at the end of the day, I have been working for a large company that has very strict processes in place. Um, and it's not just about them, it's it's the industry as a whole. You know, it's, it's most industries. You know, there are, uh, uh, you know, profits need to be made. There are uh, guidelines that put in place. There are KPIs that need to be hit. And it's very hard to kind of find your own way um, within, within that. So I didn't really plan on doing this. I've been doing the content, as you know, for, for a while now on the side, um, but it doesn't, doesn't really generate me any income. Um, and I have also sort of been dabbling in some uh, freelance content writing. So writing content for other businesses, for investment companies, for investment apps. Um, not done a lot of that in the past, but it's something that I, I started to look into a little bit more, spoke to a few more people about it. And there was really a big catalyst for for this change. Um, and it's not that I've all of a sudden got a brand deal with fucking Hargreaves Lansdowne or something. Um, I'm definitely not making any money off the podcast still. Um, but I actually, um, someone actually commented on, uh, George uh, tagged me on uh, LinkedIn with a, he'd listened to the episode of the podcast that I did with Rachel Martin from Accountant She. And she, um, I interviewed her on the show and we had a really good conversation about accountancy and, you know, running your own business and that sort of thing. And she's an incredibly, incredibly passionate person. She's very, very, feels very strongly about what she does. She just, she loves it basically. Um, and so she agreed, and I have mentioned this on the, on the podcast before, she agreed to interview me on the show. Now, some of you, those of you who are keen listeners who um, sort of pay attention to this sort of stuff may be wondering where that, where that is, where that interview is, because I have mentioned it a couple of times. So Rachel interviewed me and she was asking me a lot of questions about financial planning, as you would expect. You know, what is so great about financial planning? Why is financial planning so important? Why are you so passionate about it? And I answered the questions. Um, you know, I answered the questions in the way that I should have answered them. I answered the questions in a way that if anybody was listening um, that may want to seek advice from a financial planner, maybe they would come and speak to me. And it didn't really sit that well with me because it wasn't that I wasn't telling the truth. I was honest. 
I was, you know, I was giving my my um, my truthful, honest answers to those questions, but I was also holding back a lot. Um, I wasn't showing my full opinion. I wasn't showing my full um, self when I was answering those questions, and that sounds a bit fucking hippie. But the point was is that speaking to someone who is so passionate about what they do, so into it, so um, so feel so strongly about it. And then kind of having that as a comparison to myself and how reflecting on how I um, felt throughout that interview, it really just made me realize that financial planning is, is, is not something that I'm passionate about. I am passionate about investing. I am passionate about money. I am passionate about helping people do better with their finances and get ahead financially. Um, but I'm not passionate about doing that in the confines of financial planning. And Doing this podcast and, and creating this content has has brought that into sharp focus. There's been so many people who have got in touch with me. We've had a really good conversation. Um, you know, I've tried to be as helpful as uh, I possibly could be, but uh, but I've not been able to work with them. You know, with, when you work with a financial planner, it's expensive. You have to have a significant amount of assets. Um, you know, even if you've got a hundred thousand pounds liquid cash, that's that's like the bare minimum, um, and it costs thousands of pounds to engage. It costs thousands of pounds on an ongoing basis, and there's definitely value for that, uh, value in that for a lot of people. But generally, the people who find the most value are the people who are already wealthy, um, and so you know that really hasn't been what's been getting me up in the morning. You know, helping somebody who has two point three million turn that into two point six million. Do I really care about that? And the answer is no, unfortunately. Um, so, having a really good chat with my wife about this, and you know, look, thinking about other options and things that I could do, and you know, I've decided to go all in on the on the, the uh, freelance writing side of things. I've already picked up a number of clients that I'm going to be working with, um, so I've got the steady stream of income through through those contracts. Obviously, I'm going to be working in in um, in this investing in financial planning space. So I'm going to be using all the knowledge that I've gained over the last 15 years to create content and, uh, and provide value to, to people that way. And not only that, that's what's going to pay my bills. That's what it's going to make sure that I can still keep a roof over my family's head and put food on the table. But um, it's also going to free up a lot more time um, for me to be able to create content for you guys and to be able to provide you know more services and to be able to talk to you in a way that's not constrained by the company I'm working for. And again, this is not having a dig at the company I work for now. This is all financial planning companies. As a regulated financial advisor, you're very restricted in what you can say. You have to caveat yourself a lot. And in some ways, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think caveats are important with a lot of financial content, investing content. But there's lots of things I have an opinion on. I have a very specific, strong, clear opinion on, but I haven't really been able to share that with you guys in such a black and white way because if somebody from my compliance department was to listen to the podcast, uh, they might have a problem with it and that makes me have an uncomfortable conversation with my manager and et cetera, et cetera. Like I say, I'm just a normal guy with a boss and all the same bullshit that everybody else has to do with. So this will, I'm, I'm, I'm literally going to be, as of next week, I'm literally going to be a free agent. I can say what I want and do what I want. Obviously, I need to be careful I don't say something completely wrong. Otherwise, uh, I, I could still still get get in trouble and I wouldn't want to do that anyway. But the point is, is that I'm going to be able to be much more open um, and transparent. Not transparent, that's not, that's not the right word. I'm going to be able to have a much clearer, give you a much clearer perspective because I'm going to be able to share my own perspective in a much more straightforward way. 
So what does that mean for you, for the listener? Um, if you just like listening to the podcast and maybe you subscribe to the Hedge newsletter, doesn't mean anything will change. If, if anything, there will be more content available for you if you want it. Um, my plan is to keep the Hedge podcast exactly the same. I'm going to try to get it out. It's fortnightly at the moment. I will try to get that back to weekly, but for now, it'll be fortnightly. Um, the, the Hedge newsletter is going to continue to be out and to you every Thursday, uh, every Thursday morning. Again, I may try to increase the um, the frequency of that, but it will be something you can opt into. Uh, it'll be something that I'll only do if I know that I can be consistent with it. Um, I'll finally be able to finish that book that I've been banging on about for bloody ages. I said I was going to finish that by the end of summer and that's not happened. Um, but trust me, I've, I've not forgotten about it. It is coming, the one-hour financial plan. Um, and it also means I can do a few few different things as well. So for example, uh, I'm going to be able to offer financial coaching sessions. So something that I, I think is actually very, very valuable. I think the vast majority of people don't need financial advice. They don't need formal product advice um, because product is the least important part of a financial plan like I've spoken about before. So um, financial coaching sessions, uh, there's a link in in the show notes if you, if you want to check those out. Effectively, it's all of the parts that are of financial planning without the, the product recommendations. You know, we can talk about things like cash flow, we can talk about things like budgeting, about your objectives, talk generally about the different types of places you can invest, so pensions and ISAs. I'm not going to recommend a specific pension or a specific ISA or a specific investment fund. That is financial advice. But we can talk about the pros and cons of the different types of approach um, and kind of give you all the tools and all the information for you to be able to make those decisions yourself. So that's something that I'm going to be able to do. I'm going to be trying to do a little bit more public speaking as well. I have done some of that in the past. Um, but again, that's going to be something that I can focus a bit more of on. I can create the content that I think will be most value to the audience rather than thinking, oh shit, maybe after this they're going to Google me and if they disagree with what I've said, maybe they'll they go and complain to the company I work for. If they want to complain, they can just complain to me and that's fine and then I can I can deal with that myself. So oh, look, I'm, I'm really pumped about this, right? It's going to be, I think it's going to, there's basically no, there's no lose here. You know, I'm still going to be, um, I'm still going to be able to earn good money doing the things that I really enjoy doing. I can focus more on the parts of it that I do enjoy, do less of the stuff that I don't enjoy. It's going to give me a lot of flexibility in terms of working around family life and stuff. And it's going to mean I'm going to be able to make more and better content for you guys as well. So if you've been a listener of of mine since the get-go, um, thank you for your loyalty. Thanks for sticking around and the best is yet to come. Right, with that said, let's get into a couple of listener questions. Now, the first question I've got is uh, is from George, uh, and this is the same George that uh, that tagged me on LinkedIn and uh, and prompted me to uh, finally get around to letting you guys know what was what was going on with me. So, George has asked the question. He sent me an email, um, and by the way, if you have questions, feel free to head over to thehedge.io, drop me a line via the website. Um, George has said that he, he's, he's been burnt recently. He's been actively trading altcoins, individual stocks, and he's decided to split his money 65% into funds like ETFs, that sort of thing, 25% into FANG, which is Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, tech stocks basically, and then 10% into Bitcoin and Ethereum. I'm um, seeing steady growth in this market, current market and consistently putting in um, some money each month and sometimes uh, a bit extra on quarterly if when it gets a quarterly work commission. So I'm thinking of just putting all my money into two funds, Vanguard, All World and the S&P 500 in a way that heavily weights the global fund. Is it really that simple? 
Look, the answer to that question is yeah. Like, I know that it sounds um, it sounds deceptively simple, really. Like, yes, use a global all cap fund or use one or two sector specific funds. It really is that simple. And let me let me just explain a little bit why that is. So, those funds, any fund, well, not any fund, but definitely index funds and the vast majority of actively managed funds are not a set fixed investment universe. So from an investor's perspective, from your perspective, from my perspective, we got uh, the feds in the background, apologies for that. Um, From our perspective, it looks like all that is happening is we are buying one thing and nothing else is happening. The truth is behind the scenes, there are constantly changes that are being made to that investment fund. So for example, George mentioned there that he bought 65% funds, 25% FANG. The problem with that is that, for example, if he bought an S&P 500 fund as part of that 65%, a huge percentage of the fund's allocation is in FANG anyway, because the fund will adjust to the investments that are the most popular or the most valuable. The index changes based on the underlying constituents of that index. So, you know, if you go back 20 years, Apple well, that's probably a bad example, Facebook. <laughs> if you go back 20 years, Facebook wasn't in the S&P 500. So an index fund, a Vanguard All World Fund or an S&P 500 fund that um, invests into the American market wouldn't have held Facebook. As Facebook grew as a company, as it became more valuable, once it entered the S&P 500, then those funds would buy Facebook. As Facebook has grown as a company, they buy more Facebook. And it means that you're always going to be overweight in the most large cap um, blue chip companies and underweight in the smaller, more sort of volatile companies that, uh, that are out there. Now, the opposite is also true. So when you have companies that are, are failing, um, you know, as as I don't know, like Kodak or Nokia or something, as those companies go from really the top of the tree, as they start to fall, as they start to um, you know struggle with their business, as they start to fall further down the lists of the indexes, they will automatically be deinvesting from from those. Um, the same with really any fund that you pick. If you if you pick an actively managed fund, again, it's to you. You still just hold X amount of units in that fund, but behind the scenes, there is a lot that's going on. You know, it's like the um, the old adage of the 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 duck on the pond that looks serene and smooth and calm at the top, and below the surface, the legs are kicking like crazy. That's that's what's happening with a fund. Um, is that there's a lot of work and a lot of transactions that are going on behind the scenes. So yeah, I guess to answer the question, yeah, it really is that simple. The reason it doesn't seem that simple is because you're not making those transactions yourself. It doesn't mean that there's not those those transactions happening behind the scenes. So thank you for that question, George. Much appreciated. Um, I've got another question to go over. This one is from Luke. And Luke is accepted, has accepted a job in Australia. And He's looking. Well, he's moving to Australia, and he wants to know what, what he should do with his his um, UK account. So, which ones can he keep open? Which will be frozen until the funds are needed? What what are the, which of them might be closed or, or have to be closed? So, he's got a current account, a cash ISA, a stocks and shares ISA, and junior ISA. Um, what does he do? 
So it's a really good question, actually, um, because there are some specific things to be aware of when it comes to emigrating. Now, the first thing, I guess, to uh, to answer, the first question to answer is, are you emigrating for like permanently? Or is you know the plan to be be to to, to emigrate to Australia and, and never come back to live in the UK, or is the plan to emigrate for this job and kind of see what happens? Maybe you'll end up back here in five ten years or something. If it's the last one, the latter, um, I would suggest just keeping everything as is. Um, definitely don't look to make any changes. Uh, you know until you're dead certain in what your you know what your plans are. In my opinion, you're better off just leaving things as is. Now, whether you are moving permanently or just for a short period of time, there's something you should be aware of with ISIS, and that is you have to be a resident in the country or resident in the UK to be able to contribute to an ISIS. So there's nothing wrong with keeping these existing ones that you've got. They can just roll on. They can um, you know, continue to be invested. They can continue to grow. Um, you can even withdraw money from them if you want, but you can't add more money unless you are a tax resident for that tax year. I guess the idea behind that is it's tax-free, so if you're not actually paying tax in the UK, why should you be eligible to get the tax-free benefit? So that's that's something to be aware of. Um in terms of every other form of account, um, again, you can't contribute to a pension if you're if you're a resident overseas, but again, it will continue to just roll up. All your bank accounts and current accounts and everything like that will just stay there unless unless you do anything with them. They will just uh, continue to do what they're doing. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're moving for kind of a few years, my advice generally is just to just to crack on, leave the money there, let it let it. Um, do what it's going to do, um, and um, and worry about it when you get back. If you're making a permanent move, then things are a little bit more complex. So, bank accounts, obviously, that's pretty straightforward. You'd probably want to move them over to Australia or whichever country you're living in. The, you know, the whole point of holding cash is that it's 100%. Well, not 100%. 99% secure. Um, so you know the money's going to be there if you need it. You know the the amount is going to be there if you need it. If you're all of a sudden introducing different currencies, that can go out the window. So you could have 10 grand in a UK bank account. Um, let's just say for argument's sake that, well, it's the Aussie dollar is usually about two to one. So let's say right now that 10,000 pounds is worth 20,000 Australian dollars. Um, and then you know, you decide, you leave it there and then the Australian dollar actually appreciates. So it goes up, um, it goes up, let's just say to parity. So let's say it's one to one rather than two to one. Then your £10,000 is not worth $20,000 anymore. It's only worth $10,000. So if the Australian dollar appreciates against your home currency, then you can be worse off with bringing that money over. So you don't want to introduce that foreign exchange risk. Um, you want to just have the money in the currency mainly as much as you can in the place where you you plan to stay long term. So bank accounts, that's what you do. Pensions um, is a little bit more complicated. So pensions, you actually can in many cases transfer your UK pension to the Australian superannuation system. Um, And this is a a process known as CUROPS, which is qualified, recognised, qualifying recognised overseas pension scheme, I think it stands for. And 
QROPs aren't just in Australia. There are many countries around the world that allow what is called a QROPs transfer. You'd need to see an Australian or an you know American or you know German, whoever, wherever you, whichever country, in um, financial advisor to look at the transfer. You can't reverse it. So again, the only reason you would do this is if you were certain 100% that you were never going to come back to the UK and you wanted to make sure you had easier control over your money and that you could uh, invest it and look after it without worrying about foreign exchange risk. Um, but you can't transfer back into a UK scheme in almost all cases. So you just got to be very, very sure that that is the decision you want to do. I've actually had a client in the past who did this where they transferred, they moved to Canada they transferred via CureOps to Canada and then decided, they were doctors, decided to move back to um, the UK and they couldn't move their money back and it created a massive headache for them. So uh, that is that is what I would do with pensions. Uh, ISIS, ISIS is really the last major one. ISIS is a bit more tricky because Australia doesn't have an equivalent of an ISA. So if you were to take the money out of an ISA, and bring it over to Australia, the money would be taxable if you invested, and there, yeah, there isn't a, isn't an equivalent. So for ISAs, I would think twice about um, what you do with that with that that money. Um, if you can, if you're if the country you're moving to has an equivalent tax free an account, like America does, they have I think they're called Roth IRAs, which I believe are similar, uh, and I think Canada has has similar things as well. If you can move it from one tax-free place to another tax-free place, then that's fine. I'd, I'd, it's probably worth doing. Um, if you're going to be taking it out of a tax-free ISA and putting it into a taxable investment account, you probably want to think uh, think twice about doing that. So that would be that would be sort of my suggestions. If it's short-term, don't worry too much. Let it let it ride. If it's long-term, it's a good idea to try and get as much of your money in your new home country as you can to avoid currency risk, but just think very carefully because sometimes for certain ones like pensions, you can't reverse it. So guys, that is the episode for this week. Thank you for tuning in again, uh, as always. Um, I would really appreciate any feedback that you've got for me. The best way to do that is to head over to the website, thehedge.io. Jump on there, drop me any questions you've got. Um, sign up to the weekly email, which has got great feedback. It's growing very quickly. And as I said, as of next week, I will be uh, offering these financial coaching sessions um, where we can sit down for an hour or so and just talk through your finances. I can answer questions you've got, put you on the right path um, and kind of just take put your mind at ease when it comes to your, your money and your investment plan and that sort of thing link to all that stuff is in the show notes and as always guys look forward to speaking to you on the next episode of the show